Because no one will think of you badly anymore. No one will say, what? They don't believe in the Kaddish Bohu? Wherever you get your podcasts from, or our own website, prismoftorah.com. This is The Prism of Torah with Rabbi Saf Aaron Prisman. Shalom Avocho. In this week's parsha, parsha we have Matos and Masay. Specifically, I want to pick up a certain point I saw brought down by Rav Zev Lev Shlita, and I want to build and leverage off of it because I think it's a Moedik, a Yisoyed, a concept that can help us a lot in general in life, but also specifically as we are nearing the Yamim Noraim. There's a certain episode where the tribes of Gad and Reuven come up to Moshe Rabbeinu and they request, please let us as opposed to the rest of the tribes, let us dwell over here on the other side of the Jordan River. And it seemed like they were saying, we will not go in with you to conquer El Zisol, because this is a fitting place for us to dwell because we have a lot of sheep and over here, the pasture is great. There's a lot of green over here. So please let us dwell over here. In this request, there are two main questions I want to, I want to conquer. Question number one, the way the request is done is very odd. Why? Because the request should have done the way I just summarized it. Here's our motivation. We have a lot of, a lot of sheep. And over here, it's a lot of green, a lot of great pasture. Please let us do over here. It makes a lot of sense. Short and to the point. Instead, the way it was being requested, if you look into the psukim, is very odd. They come up to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, listen, look at these places. Atorois, Divoin, Yazer, etc., etc. Look at these Places, that's Pasuk number one. That's it. Just look at these places. The next Pasuk goes on to say, because it seems it seemed like Moshe Rabbeinu didn't respond to that. And then he says, then they continue to tell Moshe Rabbeinu, this is the land over here, all these cities that we conquered already. It's actually an amazing place for pasture, for sheep. And guess what? Hint, hint. For us, it's great. We have a lot of sheep, as you know. At this point, Moshe Rabbeinu still does not respond. Bond, and they continue to ask and now they say it the way we'd expect them to say it from the beginning. However, right at this point, and this is question number two, there's a big Samech. That Samech represents a parasha stuma, which means it's as if there's an end of a topic right now, an end of a parasha, and we start a new parasha. But that's not really true. That's question number two. Why do we have a Samech over here? Between Pasuk Dalin and Pasuk Hay in Perik Lamed Beis, we have a Samech. Why is that? Because look at the next Pasuk. Now they say to Mishra Bain, listen, if you find favor, if we are favorable in your eyes, please give us this land over here on the other side of the Jordan River because it's perfect for us. And don't, we don't need to cross the Jordan River. We'll stay over here as opposed to ever on the other side of the Jordan River. This finally gets a response from Moshe Rabin. The question is, again, two questions. Why in smack in the middle of this dialogue is there's a parasha stuma, as if it's two different parshias going over here, two different topics. That's the second question we mentioned. The first question is, why didn't they just ask him straight? What's going on over here? And Rav Zevlef wants to suggest that perhaps the idea over here is we can see the concept within the way Moshe Rabbeinu responds to them. Moshe Rabbeinu response to them is there is no way you can just stay over here and everyone will go fight and conquer the land of Israel. This makes no sense. Indeed, instead, in fact, it's going to be way worse than that because everyone is going to say to you and look at you and understand, wow, you are falling in the same pitfall as your parents did, as the, as the other people did. You are now saying, not saying, but that's what's screaming out of your lack of actions. We don't think we're going to be able to conquer 
the land of Israel, even though, despite the fact that HaKadosh Baruch promised us that we will. This looks really bad, and you have to be clean. This is where Chazal learned the concept, and that's the main akud over here. Be careful you are being watched. You cannot just do, even if you have the right intentions, you have to make sure, and it's your responsibility to ensure that every action you do is interpreted by others as a positive action or else there's going to be ripple effect to your actions and you don't know how you can negatively affect others. And therefore, to that, they responded back, whoa, 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 of course we are going to go into the battlefield and conquer the land of Israel because we believe a Kodesh Buhu, we know we're going to conquer it. All we meant to say is that after we conquer it, we'll go back and we want to dwell over there on the other side of the Jordan River. In fact, to prove our point, they tell Moshe Rabbeinu, and they suggested it themselves, we will be the first troops going in. Chalutzim! We will be the first troops going into war. To that, Moshe Rabbeinu responds, Ah, if you will be the first troops, then that's Geshmak. Everything is fine. Because no one will think of you badly anymore. No one will say, what? They don't believe in HaKadosh Baruch then, then it's a fair game. Then everything is great. And that actually answers both our questions. Why is that? Because first of all, they also realized this concept, nikim. you have to be clean in the eyes of Hashem, but not only in the eyes of Hashem, also in the eyes of your fellow Jew. You have to make sure that everything you do in life will also be interpreted by others as a pure, a positive thing and not a negative thing. Even though it is good, but it can be interpreted in a bad way, then it's your responsibility, it's your shulchanoch to ensure that you do it in the best way that will be interpreted by others as positive as well. And hence, they didn't want the request to be on the other side of the Jordan River coming from them because it still wouldn't look good. And hence, they tried to hint to Moshe Rabbein, look at this land over here, all these cities. Don't, can, can you figure it out on your own? Don't you think it's perfect for us? So why don't you cough up and ask us and suggest us, wow, you know what, this is a great place for you. Moshe Rabbein didn't respond. Then they gave him another hint. Listen, we have a lot of sheep and over here is really green, a great pasture place. They expected now Moshe Rabbein to at least say, you know what, you're right, this is a great place for you. You should, I'm suggesting that you should be dwelling in this place. Still Moshe Rabbein didn't say anything. Now we have a parasha stuma, we end the topic. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu chapped what they were trying to do. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh no, you're not getting it for me. Once they realized they're not getting it, this suggestion is not going to come from Moshe Rabbeinu because Moshe Rabbeinu held, even if the suggestion is coming from me, it's going to look really bad by others. And you have a responsibility to ve'isem nekim. And therefore, this is not good. They realized that, so they started again. They pressed the clear button, a new parsha, let's start again. And then they said it straight out. And then Moshe Rabbeinu said straight out, you cannot do this. You're going to still look bad. And then they came with an amazing idea. We'll prove to everyone we are doing it for pure reasons, not for bad reasons. We believe in HaKadosh Buhu and what he promised us, the land of Israel, and we're going to be going as the first troops. To that Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh, that's going to be amazing because you're going to clean, clean everything. Everyone's going to realize that everything's fine, everything's legit because you are going to be the first fighters in the front lines, ah, that means you really trust the Kaddish Buhu and no one is going to misinterpret what you're saying. Chazal learned from this and we see many examples of this in the Gemaras and Chazals. Ve'isem nekim, also in the eyes of HaKadosh Buhu, we're going to look like we're clean and we're pure and we're doing the right thing, but not only to HaKadosh Buhu, who knows of course HaKadosh Buhu knows where we're holding, but as well in the eyes of Am Yisrael. 
that they'll all know that what we're doing is for the right reason. The concept that's so imperative over here is ve'isem nekim. Anything we do has a ripple effect. Be careful you are being watched no matter what you do. And hence, we have to do our best that any action we do should not only, even if it's a good action and our intentions are great, but if it can be misinterpreted by someone, that's a horrible thing. And it is our, our responsibility to do everything in the best way that will not be misinterpreted by anyone. A similar idea we see by the Maral Diskin. He explains that the idea we spoke about a couple of weeks ago about Ladunikav's chut, that on the one hand, we are responsible to judge our fellow Jew favorably. And that's very important. So you would think, why is that very important? Because we're doing a favor to our fellow Jew, always to look at him, at any action he does in a positive light. But it's way deeper than that, he said. When you're looking at your fellow Jew in a positive light, that in itself will not allow you to become desensitized to negative actions. Because in your eyes, you're not going to see negative actions. It's a protection for you. Behind the scenes over here is the same idea. When I look around me and I don't interpret an action in the wrong way, it doesn't have a negative effect on me. So just like it's my responsibility to favorably judge my, judge my fellow Jew, and that also has the ripple effect that I won't be negatively affected and desensitized for negative actions, so too it's the other Jew's responsibility to do his best to make sure there's no room to be misinterpreting his action. And even if it's amazing intentions, that is our responsibility. There's a famous Midrash in Veikra Rabba. It says, Rabbi Tzrak said that the Torah teaches us Derech Eretz. And when one performs a mitzvah, he should perform it with joy. And he goes on to say a couple of examples. If Reuven knew that the Torah would record what, that he attempted to save Yosef from the brothers, ah, he would have carried him in a totally different way. He would have showed everyone how he's proud of doing it. He's carrying him on his shoulders to run home, etc., etc. And he gives some other examples of this. Perhaps from here, Rabbi Tzrak in this Midrash is teaching us that you should know when you're doing something for yourself or between you and HaKadosh Buhu, it's important. Of course it's important. You should do it in the best way. But when you also do it in a way that someone else can learn from it, which usually that is what's happening whether you like it or not. When you're doing something, it's not, usually it's not behind closed doors. Other people can look at you and it can affect them. Then you have to put that extra effort to do it in the best way possible. Because it's, you know your intentions in your heart, but others, aside from HaKadosh Buhu, they cannot read your heart. You have to do it in the best way possible that will always also have a ripple effect that affects others. As we said, again, the idea is be careful you're being watched. Do everything in the best way possible that will be interpreted in a way that they realize you're doing the right thing. When Rav Yitzchak said that Torah teaches us Der Heretz, perhaps, Derech Eretz also implies promoting and strengthening society. Any relationships you have with a person's spouse, business, or good character traits, all of these are aspects of Derech Eretz. Yitzchak's lesson is teaching us to perform the mitzvah and our good acts in such a way that we do it in an incredible fashion with a lot of joy and that will be the mitzvahs we do will be obvious to others around us and we can have a ripple effect that will affect others as well. I want to add to this an idea that I think is really Emes. We all know the famous pyramid structure, the pyramid scheme, it's also known as MLM, multi-level marketing, where you go into this company and you sell a certain product, whatever the product is, sometimes they're good products, sometimes it's bad, but at the end of the day, anyone that you bring into the company to consume the products, also to sell them, and they manage to sell, or to, to sell a certain product, then you get a dividend of that. You get a percentage of that. That means that anyone under you that came through you, even if it's to the nth degree, one level down lower or two or three, it doesn't matter, you get a percentage of that. And of course, 
if you have a big pyramid under you, then you're making a lot of money because you're getting percentages from a lot of people. And even though the percentages goes go down as you reach another, another deeper layer into the pyramid, but at the end of the day, there's big numbers over here. I really think that this is the same way the Abishter works when it comes to giving us reward. When you do a certain maise and other people are looking at you and get positively affected by you, then you have a percentage in their good deed. And if they bring it on to the next generation, then you have that affected as well. And even if they don't give it to their children, but they changed in the positive way because they saw the way you davened. And then they started to daven in such a way, or they started to learn in such a way, and others were affected by them, you have a percentage in that. And perhaps we know that the Bali Musar tell us then when a person goes up to Shamaim, then he's not really recognizing so much, this is me? I didn't do these sins. I didn't do these mitzvahs. What's going on over here? So the Chafetz Chaim, we know, the Chovas Levavos tells us that when you speak Lashon Hava, then there's a switch. Your mitzvahs go to someone else and his averas come to you. But that's not what I'm coming to say. I'm coming to say something else. You're not going to recognize certain mitzvahs you have or chas v'shalom, certain averas that are associated to you because you're going to say, I know for a fact I did not do these. And they're going to tell you up in Shemaim, we know you didn't do it. But you did something that triggered someone else that caused them to do this. So if you did a mitzvah in such an amazing way that had a ripple effect on someone else and he did it because of you, you will get percentages of that mitzvah and hence it is associated to you. I would like to just end off with a Mordecai story, story that I might have said a while ago, but I think it really brings the point home. And that is, this happened like six years ago. Someone came to a shul in Los Angeles. He looked like a foreign Jew. Didn't look like he was practicing mitzvahs. He didn't look so Jewish even. He comes up to the gabbai of the shul. He asks people, who's the gabbai over here? He comes up to the gabbai and he says, are you the gabbai of the shul? And he says, yes. He goes, here's the check for $10 million dollars. I would like to support the shul. This is what I want to donate to the shul. The Gaba was shocked. He usually has to work so hard and sweat so much just to get $100. And here is getting a $10 million check on the spot. My high. How did this happen? So he asked the other Jew, oh, my high. So the other Jew tells him, I'll tell you what happened. I haven't been practicing, practicing Yiddishkeit, but... I know I'm a Jew and I feel I'm a Jew and I felt like I need to come to visit the Holy Land, Elsie Soil. So I went on a trip. Part of the trip, I said, I have to go to the Koisel. So he went to the Koisel and over there he saw a Yid davening, pouring his heart out to He saw how much he was connected to the davening and it, it really, he was really impressed by the davening. He didn't even want to, Atkadikach, he was impressed. He didn't want to bother the person. So he went to some other Yid and he, tell, he asked him, tell me, what kind of Yid is he? Is, wait, 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 part of what stream is he? What, what is he? Conservative, reform, orthodox? What, what, what kind of Jew is he? So he said, oh, he's definitely orthodox. He said, okay. And he made a conscious decision right then and there that the closest shul that's orthodox in his proximity where he lives in Los Angeles, he will give this $10 million check. The Kachave, and that's what happened. You see that this Yid that was davening in the Koisal, he had no idea someone was even looking at him. He didn't even care if someone was looking at him. But his effect, his, his, the way he was connected to his davening Takadish at that time had a major ripple effect. And hence, when he goes to Shemaim, I have no doubt, he will have a chilek in that huge mitzvah of supporting that shul mitzvah. And why? He doesn't even know about it. Yiratzon, that we'll always live our, life in a way, in our lives in a way that we'll feel and we'll be aware in our conscious mind, even in our subconscious mind, that we're being watched 
and we can use every moment that we have not only for to enlighten our connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but also to have a ripple effect and impact others in a positive fashion. Have a Gishmak Shabbos. Thank you for joining us. This is the Prism of Torah. Visit our website prismoftorah.com where you'll find a full archive of hundreds of past every Torah. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and don't forget to share with your friends and family. Sponsorship opportunities are available for all of our episodes. Thank you, Yonavefa, for your recording equipment. Produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.